Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode and I've got a very cool episode for you today. Um, I was lucky enough to get to sit and chat with Fast from the Fun Loving Criminals. Um, we'd met before. He'd, he'd come and DJ'd for Pip and I. Great DJ. Um, and yeah, it'd been a long while. And we got to sit down and I got to hear about the impact that the Beastie Boys had on, on someone growing up in America, um, how he met Huey, how they formed the band, and everything else. And it's a, it's a great chat. There's there's lots of music in there that potentially you might not think that, that fast to be into. We, we we go into the the early 80s synth pop and, and, and industrial music, and it was, it was just a great chat. And before we get on with it, um, I just want to say thanks to um, Scroobius Pip and everybody over at the Distraction Pieces Network. Uh, thanks to 76 for producing this podcast. Uh, also, if you enjoy this and it's your first um, episode of listening to Off The Beaten Track, please go and have a little rummage around in the back catalogue because you'll find over 100 episodes with some amazing DJs, producers, musicians, actors, artists. There's there's plenty to get your teeth stuck into, so go and have an explore over there. Um, and if you've already done that and you're still thirsty for more, I'll put a standalone episode up each week over on Patreon, so you can support the podcast by getting involved over there. And if you're still thirsty for podcasts, then why not check out podbiblemag.com. Pop Bible is the print publication and digital publication uh, owned by myself, Scroobius Pip and Adam Richardson. And it's your go-to guide for podcasts. So go and give that a look. Um, it's also got a podcast as well, which comes out each week over on Acast. Um, so yeah, go and explore Pod Bible. I think that's it. I think we can get back to the job at hand. And all that's left for me to do now is say, please enjoy Off The Beat and Track podcast with Fast of the Fun Loving Criminals. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year, and they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music, 
And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we're recording. We're at the WeWork building in uh, Hipsterville. And uh, <laughs> that voice you hear laughing there, it's, uh, it's Fast from Fun Loving Criminals and... A new outfit. Yeah. Well, yeah, a little side project. Okay. Can you pronounce that for me? <laughs> Sadaje. I thought it was sordad. Yeah. But then when I learned about, um, it's a Portuguese word that uh, it's sadaje, and it's okay. more of a feeling than a word. Kind okay. of a looking back, nostalgic look on your past, but something you experienced that you miss, but yet you're still happy you experienced it. It's kind of a complicated emotion, but in Portuguese speaking places, it's like a really important word. So I thought it summed up, you know, this record of just kind of ambient music that yeah. I've been writing over 10 years. Okay, well, we will discuss this uh, on, on the, uh, throughout the, 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 the podcast, but I always want to kick things off with the song with the greatest ever intro. Yeah, it's funny. I like this list too. When you sent the list, it was like I went through three, four different drafts of it, changing it. But it, this question, it for me, it was "Shine on You, Crazy Diamond," just because. Yeah. I mean, it's like eight minutes long or something yeah. before you even get to lyrics. I mean, I, uh, I grew up loving electronic music. When I met Huey, I was like in a techno house band working at the Limelight nightclub, and he's like, "You know, there's other types of music that they have keyboard plays and stuff like, you know." You got yes, and I was like, oh, I didn't like that. Yeah. All over the place. He's like, all right, too fast for you. Maybe try Pink Floyd. You really like what you know that keyboard guy does, and that was the first song that he played me, and I just right. love it because the first three minutes is just yeah. strings and organ, and I learned later that they're doing the wine glass thing. Do you know that on oh, that really? track? Oh, really? I yeah. didn't know that. They got like thirty different wine glasses and pitched them all right and did. Like the rubbing of the wine glass, and David Gilmore even did it at a concert, I think, in Italy or something, where got a bunch of people to do the wine glass. I mean, that's do you know what? I think I've seen some. I'm sure I've seen pictures of that. Yeah, so I, I was really into, you know, the Pink Floyd stuff, especially Animals, Wish You Were Here. Yeah. Just for all the amazing synth work that um, is just really impressive to me. 
I love the fact that he tested the water with yes, and he's like, no, 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 that's too prog. <laughs> let's wind it in a bit. Let's wind it in a bit. Let's take you down to Pink one Floyd. Note. Yeah, just one <laughs> note as opposed to every note on the synth, but it's all good. So... I mean, in regards to sort of uh, intros, I mean, Shine On You Crazy Diamond is, I mean, the intro's a song in itself pretty yeah, much, isn't it? I think it is. It's parts one and two or something. Yeah. And so with, I imagine that's very similar to, although I've not heard your, your new project yet, um, from what we've been speaking to about before we press record, it sounds like it's quite ambient and, and, and quite... There's a lot of that. Yeah. So... How have you... Because I always like to ask artists how they approach writing intros. So let's start with Fun, Love and Criminals. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the song obviously was, was Scooby Snacks that propelled you into, you know, yeah. into most people's you know, ears. Got lucky with that. Thank you, Quentin Tantino, for and releasing what those an movies. Intro. Yeah, it's... Uh, I was... We had finished our record, yeah. and we had our record deal. And so the label hadn't heard that song when we... You know, the stereo, the cliche CEO comes up with a card, let's make a record. Cool. Yeah. But within a few weeks, I was at home in Brooklyn, and I was messing around with Beats, and I had Reservoir Dogs on Laserdisc. Yeah. And I had the pulp. Nice shout-out to Laserdisc. You know there. what I mean? Big time. <laughs> I had the flip, the automatic flip-side disc player, too, which is great. That was rare in those days. It was expensive. But I uh, had the soundtrack to Pulp Fiction, which had the dialogue in yeah. it, which I thought, that's really cool how Tarantino's put the dialogue mm -hmm. on the actual soundtrack. You know, years later, I learned that, like, Scorsese did it with the Taxi Driver soundtrack, has Travis Bickle's dialogue oh, really? all throughout it. And, you know, even better than that, I mean, it's hard to top that soundtrack, but um, Apocalypse Now, the double vinyl set, and they put it out on CD, has pretty much the whole movie's dialogue on really? the soundtrack. So it's basically just the movie without the pictures. Yeah. And so I was like, that's just a really clever, cool thing to do. So sure enough, Vic, the beginning, where the girl and the guy are there yeah. having that bit of dialogue, and was like, swearing, eh, that's fine. He was yeah. loads of swears in our music. And yeah. the label heard that and was like, that's the single. And it yeah. was like, oh. But it was, you know, we got lucky with that. But I mean, yeah, the intro of that's just a lot of beats. I mean, because we're a, we love sampling, especially more back then. Yeah. Um, it's always cool, especially if you find a rare sample, to kind of let that play first. Yeah. And then build upon it. You yeah. know, hip hop would do that and then put the beat on it and the lyrics. Yeah. We would add the guitar and the bass and the real drums, mm -hmm. and we like to just have this big mashup of just loads of different sounds and. Um, then for years it started. Then it got really expensive with samples. After Puff Daddy did the Vic the Police Jam for yeah, Biggie, yeah, yeah. then Sting took like a hundred percent. Most publishers, songwriters said, "Oh, well, Sting took a hundred percent. I'll take a hundred percent." You know, and then it made it like, "Oh, well, it's hard to do this art form." Was that sampling a, a real landmark for back then? I think that to me that was because the record we did afterwards, everyone wanted so much more really? that we said, and it's not necessarily, pu it is publishers, Yeah. but I think songwriters as well were like, well, you know, you took a huge part of my song where yeah. it used to be broken down, you know, in Scooby Snacks, it was like, all right, you have this little guitar from Tones on Tail, which is the guys from Bauhaus and Love and mm. Rockets, great little tremolo guitar thing that... We tried to recreate, but was just didn't have the same sound yeah. as a sample. Did it, and they're like, well, it's in your verses, half of your verses. So they kind of did the mathematical break. It was fair. Yeah. And it still let you do something creative with sampling, where now it's like, 
you know, you take something that's the whole song, just one very popular sample, like, yeah. you know, police every breath you take, game over. They, they're going to own that song. When they own 100%, they're owning the lyrics you wrote as well. Yeah. So it's like, that made it hard for us where we started sampling ourselves. But then we realized, nah, we don't really record and play stuff as good as they did in the 70s. Yeah. And nowadays it's kind of going, you know, with the new record, FOC, we're working on, we're, we've gone back to finding rare grooves to sample and oh, stuff. Oh, nice. Which is cool. We don't know what the hell's going to happen with yeah. the sample clearance people. I don't even know if they have sample clearance people anymore, yeah. but it's important to just kind of stick to what we enjoy doing as songwriters because to have to make limits and have rules yeah. was kind of everything that we never thought of. We were sampling everyone, so. Was you writing with, with radio in mind? Like, we shoot like intros and things like that. Were they, was, was it a consideration that we want to get on the radio? I don't think so. I, I, I don't think we thought it, anyone would hear it outside of the limelight where we worked and played shows when other yeah. bands would cancel. Um, all that was a bit of a shock, especially yeah. when it was England. Yeah. Was the first place that really was like yeah. hip to it was like, wow, we grew up loving English music, yeah. whether it's Zeppelin or, you know, for me, Depeche Mode. I mean, yeah. all these different styles of music. And now to be over here and doing shows and stuff, and yeah. people actually there loving it. We go back to New York and play in bars for friends of ours who are there calling us names I don't want to say on your yeah, podcast, yeah, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, like, that kept us real, but it was, yeah, it was, it was shocking, but at the same time, really, yeah. really cool. Well, I want to pick up on, 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 on those those moments as as as, as uh, the band blew up in the UK, but just quickly um, before we move on to uh, track two, when when you approach writing um, your current project, yeah, uh, I'm not even going to try and say it again. Sadaje, Sadaje, I know, yeah, right. the, that's, it's We're better there. than Frank. <laughs> Frank played one of the songs as radio show. I don't even know how he played. it was like Sadaje say or something, but <laughs> I know I didn't think about the confusion of that. But hey, people that speak Portuguese are loving the record. I never thought that would happen. And so, it, it, it was. How do you approach intros on this? A lot of this, a lot of these songs are basically just an intro. Yeah. Because <laughs> you'll have me layering different synth sounds and melodies come in and out, but a lot of it is kind of the, you know, not to be cliche, but close your eyes and kind of chill yourself out a bit. Yeah. So um, it's my version of trying to do an ambient record. So. You know, often you'll hit a chord you like, or maybe yeah. two chords that go well together. That's probably been done a thousand times, ambient yeah. music and stuff. And just kind of hold it for a while, bring in, slowly bring in other sounds. You know, there's not many beats on this record, yeah. but it was, for me, it was more a collection of basically stuff I went through in the past 15, 20 years of getting older, you know, starting to have families, getting responsibilities and it was my cathartic way of getting, yeah. you know, dealing with it. Some yeah. people go to the gym, some go to the pub. I went and sat behind a bunch of Behringer synths and, yeah. and wrote a bunch of stuff. So, but yeah, most of it, you'll hear it. It's like, okay, it's kind of the same thing right. over and over and over again. But there's different, to me, I can relate it to yeah. specific times in my life that most I don't want to share. That's why it was, it was a bit personal. So it took a long time for me to even want to put yeah. it out. But then I thought, don't waste time being on a hard drive, yeah, gathering digital dust. Put it out. Well, we're gonna we're, we're gonna kind of uh, get get a bit emotional here fast because for track two, I want to know the first thing I remember <laughs> hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Star Wars. Now, see, this is 
people think, oh, Star Wars, he's one of those. One of those DJs who, yeah. who loves Star Wars, like JP, who everyone who knows Crate Diggers in London knows JP, and he's a, he's a next level DJ who loves Steely Dan as well. But when I saw the movie, it's the first movie I remember seeing. I don't think it was the first I saw, but it's yeah. the first movie I remember seeing. It's just, you know, a long time ago, Galaxy, all that. And then when the Star Wars comes on, it's super loud. I never experienced, but So that was like, in itself was like, damn, what is this? Yeah. And it was like real loud, classical, John Williams killing it. And then you get the Star Destroyer coming overhead yeah. and it's like shaking the theater. And I'm just like, this is life changing. Yeah. That was like the spark. Then you learn, I learn over the years that like George Lucas is was just such a technological innovator, not only with film and, and and sound and stuff, but like that led to like creating the editing software, the digital editing software, Avid. He was a huge part of that. Pro Tools, which is audio really? software. George Lucas was a big part of the formation of digital design. Avid digital design. Digit design. <laughs> and they, uh, yeah, this there, is Mike. why I love, in, I love speaking. <laughs> but, and my stutter comes out. So, I'm like Mel Tillis in the Hannibal Run. So when you learn those things, it's like, wow, people can knock George for not being the greatest director. I mean, yeah. directed Star Wars movies and the prequels. Yeah, whatever. But the guy started Pro Tools, which led to Logic. You know, the That's guy crazy. started Avid, which led to Final Cut and yeah. all these other things. So as far as like, an, a, you know, being innovative with technology, the guy was, was next level. Yeah. And, you know, that's why. And John Williams, I mean, you can, I don't know many scores to movies where people can really just whistle the melody and someone will know it off yeah. the top, you know, and Indiana Jones and, and I mean, just, just e. so many. John, E.T. So, I mean, it's just John Williams. But yeah, if I were to say to you, The Fugitive, with Harrison Ford. No idea. No. no one does. I don't know. I mean, Back to the Future, and I think that's Alan Silvestri. That's another yeah. real good one. But, I mean, John Williams is yeah. legendary. And Hans awesome. Zimmer, I guess, is sort of the new version yeah. of John Williams. And Interstellar soundtrack, to me, was a big one. But that organ player on that Interstellar soundtrack isn't Hans Zimmer. It's this cat who works in a church, is an organ player in some church in London. And Hans Zimmer heard the guy and was like, yo, do you want to play all this stuff? And it's next level. So if you, right. Yeah, so that organ stuff. And that's why I always think of Hans Zimmer kind of like Mark Ronson, you know. And Mark, you know, bless him, we know him in New York. Great dude, great producer. But, like, that's his, I think, one of his main skills is that he knows, like, if he wants horns on track, he knows exactly who to get. Mm -hmm. And I think Hans Zimmer has a similar vibe, which is like, yeah. I know this dude in this church in London yeah. that plays amazing stuff. So, but yeah, Star Wars um, and that main theme. I mean, it's just great. We open with it at Fun Loving Criminals a lot. That's our intro song. I mean, that's a bit silly. A lot of bands do that, but it works for us. It's an absolute call of arms, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like, you know, even I'm, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and, and, and of course you are. You and, have to be. And like, of course. <laughs> and like, but even when I go to the cinema now to watch the, the recent ones, it's all about that moment. It's yeah. all about that little long time ago and then it's the punch in the face when that starts and it does it's the first film I went to see at the cinema when I was a kid like I got brought up here to London uh, and I got to see it in Leicester Square not the premiere oh, yeah, but I yeah, got to see awesome. it and, like, yeah, and man they, they took and I was you know I was brought up in a very working class family but they treated me to that and then afterwards they took me to Hamley's around the corner of the toy store and I bought R2-D2 
and Skywalker. I had nice. the figures and like, and that sticks in my head, man. I must have been like four or five years old, and it was like. Well, that's again George just being the man because the merchandising thing I mean I would not have survived any trips to the dentist as a kid if I didn't know my mom was in the background holding one of those action figures you yeah. know I, I had a really good collection yeah. not like again JP who has everything the original stuff boxed yeah. I mean I guess when he was a kid he just played with them in the box or yeah. something but um, and I, I've got you know in my little studio at home I got the original ones because ebay nice. years ago was selling them cheap but yeah it's just um i think again nostalgia Coast, that whole man. thing looking back and movies were louder then too it seemed unless when you're a kid you just hear things well you can hear better when yeah. you're when you're a kid but i just remember the first five minutes of that movie were just were amazing if you were five six yeah. years old in a cinema i'm sure if you were 17 18 as yeah. well smoking whatever you're smoking going to see star wars would be next level yeah i mean i've heard stories about enter the dragon that people who saw Enter the Dragon in the theater and were just, that was their Star Wars. But to me, it just got me, I was into the whole science fiction yeah. thing from that, yeah. walking out of that theater and anything with Harrison Ford. So Soul Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah. blew me away. Went to see Blade Runner, shouldn't have, but I was really young, must have been nine or 10 when it came out. So it had some heavy stuff I didn't know what was going on. But again, the music in that was kind of like the game changer for me, which sort of leads to the Sadaja yeah. record because it was like, who is this dude playing all this music? It's with this yeah. guy, Vangelis. What is that? Is that a band? Is that a guy? Yeah. And learn it's a Greek guy who has the same birthday as me, who's done some amazing yeah. soundtracks. You mm. know, the Blade Runner ones is a massive one that for me. And yeah. and again, it's like what, you know, you take all these steps to when I met Huey and in this techno band, and he's like, yo, I really like like what you do at your techno group because you got like a drummer, which is great. But let's slow those BPMs down, man. Let's slow it down a bit. Let's, you know, we both loved hip hop. So yeah. that was like a big kind of our mutual ground. And, you know, it's just, it all goes back to really George. Yeah. George Lucas, he's the man. And so where was this? New York? What, where I saw Star Wars? Yeah. That would have probably been in, that was 77. That would have been in Virginia. Okay. So I was born, my dad was an IBM guy. He was in the Navy. So I was born at the Naval Academy Hospital. And then he worked for, he did two volunteer tours of Vietnam and then went to work for IBM. So every five years we moved. And in 83, we moved to New York and we would go into the city just outside New York and we'd go into the city and it was always like, wow, this place is awesome. When I was 18, I'd be going in there on the week. I'm going to my friend's mom and get on the train, go in, yeah. go record shopping and buying music and stuff. And then it was like they moved to florida because my dad again with ibm we're moving i was like i'm not leaving new york so i yeah. moved into the city started working at this nightclub answering phones and stuff and yeah that's where this english promoter who worked there promoting nights said you gotta meet this guy huey you guys are like two peas in a pod bish bash bosh and we met, I met him, and he's like, yeah, you doing Fun Loving Criminals. That's the name of the band. I was like, yeah, all right, cool. So, <laughs> and like two weeks later, we had our record mostly written. You yeah. know, he came to my the apartment I was living at the time with like five other people with a stack of CDs and a guitar, and I had a sampler. And it was like that stack of CDs was like The Doors, Van Halen, Buddy Guy. I mean, it was all across the board. Real hybrid. So, yeah, and then we had for beats, for hip hop beats, we had one cassette of Funkmaster Flex live on um, Hot 97. Nice. That, because he's a DJ, 
he would like every track he was cutting in and out, he left the beat exposed. So we're just vicking beats off that yeah. and then take a bit from the doors and that became Smoke'em, you know, yeah. and all these different things came together so easy because we weren't thinking, it was just sure. something different. I was in a techno group, he was in this kind of bizarre blues rock, kind of heroin rock David Lynch soundtracky band. Okay. And now here we are making hip hop beats with samples. You know, obviously there's connections between us and the Beastie Boys, you know, white dudes from New York. Mm -hmm. and But they're on a completely different cosmic level, the Beastie mm -hmm. Boys, and they're always gonna be one of our biggest influences, mm -hmm. especially what they did with the Dust Brothers. Mm -hmm. But for us, it was like the whole intent of playing real instruments, Huey being a guitar player, me messing with different instruments, and when we got in the studio, it was great because we couldn't clear half the samples. Yeah, You can't clear a lot of these samples, so it's like we had to replay them, change them, and it's like, oh great, now we can, you know, sort of by mistake, from not thinking about it, and then we had to think about it, learning to play instruments. She was yeah. like, didn't you play trumpet as a kid? And I was like, oh God. It's <laughs> like, bring that trumpet in the studio. So there we are learning trumpet, and it's like, when you're young playing trumpet, it's great. When you're yeah. old and you're smoking weed, you got no air to breathe. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it, it, it's just, but it was just great learning experience, yeah. you know. So for track three, um, I want to know the song that reminds you of your time at school. Well, funny enough, Beastie Boys. Yeah. It was, it was, again, it was another game changer because I think at that point I was like 86, 87. Um, so I would have been would have been 15, 14. So I was just getting into high school. You know, right. we have we're, we're very similar in age then. Yeah, I'm 48 oh, in a couple 46, weeks. Yeah, so yeah, you're young, <laughs> you're young. Two years, it's like decades. And I'm really <laughs> curious to, to know um, how the beast is impacted on. Was this New York when you were yeah, school? Yeah, how that impacted there because it just changed everything in the UK. You know. It was huge, and that, and they when they toured here, I think because our drummer Frank um, went and saw the tour. I think it was them, Public Enemy, Beasties, Public Enemy, and there was one other huge. I think it was Run DMC or, or LL it, Cool J. It was, was it not Eric B? It was anyway in the states. They never yeah. did that tour yeah. in '87. For uh, the first time, I saw the Beasties on that tour with the big inflatable penis yeah. and craziness. It was them with Public Enemy opening. And the S1Ws all throughout the crowd with the Uzis that were water guns, so they're just spraying. It was great, but yet you didn't know it for the first few songs. Yeah. They come out with Uzis. It's like damn. But also Murphy's Law was the first band to play, so okay. you had like punk rock stuff, yeah. which obviously the Beasties have mm -hmm. that influence. I remember sledding in 1987, going sledding or sledging as they call it here, yep. and uh, real great hill. Took forever to get to the top. Get to the top, everyone's out of breath. We're sitting there waiting. This one kid in the cool school who's kind of cool, I think, moved from New York to the suburbs, so was yeah. miserable leaving New York to move to the suburbs. I mean, going from the suburbs to New York is one thing. And he always he was like bopping his head, and it's like, hey, what do you listen to? And he wouldn't let us hear it. Go down the hill, walk back up the hill, you know. Eventually, we heard it. It was like, what the hell is it? It was No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Yeah. So right to the record store to, like, you know, get the cassette of that as yeah. well. And it was just, it was awesome because it was, it was rock at the time when I didn't even really know what rock was at that point. Yeah. I maybe had like, you know, some Michael Jackson. Yeah. I might have had Thriller, had the Chariots of Fire theme. And I mean, I was listening to electronic, English weird yeah. electronic new wave music like Depeche Mode mm -hmm. and basically anything on mute records. I was loving. Yeah. So, We're a little bit later on, 
and you're going to go in on Mute Records, mate. Be- yeah, yeah. Because I'm a I- big fan, and it was with what I loved about Mute Records was it was more about the late, not more about, but the label was important. So anything put out on Mute Records, we had to get. And to a good friend of mine who got me into this whole new wave stuff, he went with anything Mute did. I think they put out some Nick Cave mm. records. That was when I was like, mm, real music, not interested, no synthesizers. Yeah. I was a bit militant with my, there has yeah. to be synthesizers. And at least with like the Beasties, they were sampling. So there's yeah. something, there's electronic influence yeah. in there, and there's drum machines. And it was just great. And that was like sort of the beginning of my love of rap music. Yeah. And it was it was a massive entry point for 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 me and my friends. It was it, it, it easy. It was just the, and, and it was the hype around it. It was like you know the, it was front page of the tabloids. Yeah. That, you know these these like rebels were coming over, and you know it was it was bad. It was naughty. It was like all the things that they said about the Sex Pistols fifteen yeah. years before. It's like or ten years before whatever. And and it's so weird when you look back now. There were it. It was just music, man. There were it? kids, and it's like, and they, they were, were. They were kids like, from Brooklyn. Do I, I mean, I have some good friends. The girl who got me my job at the Limelight, Andrew, big up yourself. Um, she went to school with some of them. So I think with MCA, may he rest in peace. So just a band that was, you know, next level. And that show was debauchery, yeah. and it was in Camden, New Jersey, or in Passaic, New Jersey, I think. And it was, it was crazy. Yeah. And I went home, and that was like, wow. And then they put out Paul's Boutique, and I didn't get it. Like, yeah. a lot of people, I didn't get it. Because um, I was so into License to Ill. Years later, Paul's Boutique is the Don Dada of, of rap yeah. records for me with the Sam, the Dust Brothers stuff. And funny enough, I always like, whenever I talk about Paul's Boutique, I, you have to big up um, Big Audio Dynamite, Mick Jones's mm-hmm. Megatop Phoenix album. Because that, to me, it came out a month after Paul's Boutique. is so sample heavy. So obviously, yeah. the year before... Mick Jones must have got a sampler. Yeah. You know, the Dust Brothers obviously were collecting records, had everything. But just those two records, it's just amazing what sampling was capable of. And that's when it kind of kind of put the synthesizers on the back yeah. burner and wanted a sampler. And, you know, I'm really lucky that when I met Huey, it was kind of about taking stuff I never would have thought of yeah. going for, really combing through all this classic rock stuff, yeah. you know, not jazz, because a lot of, you know, Tribe Called Quest and stuff were doing the jazz thing. We didn't know jazz. Here we had loads of classic rock stuff. We had access to that stuff. I wasn't a point where I was going to go to a record store and just yeah. go digging through jazz records. I didn't know what I was doing then. Yeah. So it's just it's just cool with the technology and, and again, with the Beasties, just they were right. always innovators yeah. with that whole thing. I mean, when they must have heard those Dust Brothers demos, and said, all right, yeah, that, that's what we want our record yeah. to be. They must have thought when they listened to that record, this is going to blow, we are huge, and it bombed. Yeah. Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs... Just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks 
Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. It is, it's true, man. It's like anyone that says I loved it when it came out, I'm like, really? Because over mm. here, it done nothing. Yeah, nothing. And, and it, it was only really when, for, for most people, I guess, when they started playing the video to So What You Want, yeah. it was like, us. Oh, check your head, that blew And yeah, then check your up. head. And then obviously <laughs> sabotage, and then the whole world went fucking crazy for it. And then everyone starts looking back. And then all of a sudden you think, that album that bombed is one of their best. Yeah, it's And amazing. it's like, and, and shout out to Huey, because last year on my birthday, I was <laughs> driving through Norfolk with Pip in the car. Uh, and yeah, we had the six music on. And he went, here's a track for my boy Stu. And he played Eggman for me. Wow. It's my favorite yeah. tune. So, it's yeah. sick. I mean, I just, I, yeah, I, I mean, always, there's a sample. Big time. I mean, I always love, I mean, even just the list of the samples on that, right? It's yeah. like everything. They, yeah. the, 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 and the Dust Brothers get a lot of credit for that because they pretty much put all those pieces of, you know, different samples together. But, I mean, it, every record they did was next level. And they, I know they did a tour, I think, at Lollapalooza with Tribe Called Quest when they did Midnight Marauders and it was Ill Communication tour for the BCs. I never went to that show because I didn't want to see the eight other bands. Yeah. And stadium shows were never really my thing from Genesis in like 1984 which I just Tony Banks you know yeah. sick keyboard player they started with Mama it's like a great song yeah. that starts with, with since I was into it but yeah they're, they're doing they're, it again man yeah they just announced I'd it, check it out I, I would go, well I don't know I, it's not going to beat that that moment at that stadium. That was my first stadium show. Was Genesis? It's what was Invisible that? Touch. Thought. Invisible Touch. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of when I kick started listening, to really getting into music. You yeah. know, not just I was playing trumpet, like I said before, and I had a really cheap synthesizer, which I still have, which is great, Casio CZ two thirty S, and it was amazing. Um, but I just yeah, that I think eighty four was like a. A big year for me as far as just really saying music is what I want to do. Yeah. My mom was a piano teacher but never wanted to teach me because I was a pain in the ass, I guess. So when she would finish her lessons, I'd go sit there. But I'd play terrible songs like the Hill Street Blues theme, which was like a cop My show. My post, man. My you know, post wrote so, that. All right, so I would play those. I got that on seven inch, man. It would take me forever to learn it. <clears throat> because I was reading she music. I mean, I was playing handbells in church, yeah. which is another thing that was like, I thought was pretty cool. Just I wanted music around me at all times. Then we're traveling to Japan and England when I was like 15, 16 years old, playing with all these handbell choirs and the Japanese ones are next level. They memorize all the, these pieces of music. I mean, it was like, wow, this is really music is amazing. And all the yeah. different types of music out there, you know, it's really a gift to anyone that I think writes it or even just listens yeah. to it. It's a great, without music, I don't know what this world would be like. It's hard enough now, but without tunes. So, I was going to ask. I generally ask guests if, like, um, if they were creative kids and if that was encouraged at school. And from what you've just said, that's pretty much the case, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I, um, yeah, I got lucky because there was some. The school I went to wasn't a music school, but there was a great trumpet teacher named um, Don Dupont. What a great trumpet name! He was a trombone player, actually, but. I got some lessons with him and the trumpet playing thing, you know, I'm playing like bugle calls and playing. Yeah. Wasn't that, wasn't really, I liked it and I enjoyed playing it. The jazz band, I like being in the jazz band, but I never was a soloist, which to this day, if someone is like, all right, fast, take a solo. It's like, nah, <laughs> I guess it's my computational mind that wants to like know what I'm doing. Yeah. Where again, respect to 
people that are really good at soloing, like Huey on guitar, it's like whatever he's feeling, that's what he's gonna play. Yeah. And it's more times than not, it's really impressive that he can just do that without planning it. I'm a planner. Yeah. I'm a zeros and ones kind of guy, so I need to know what I'm doing. But I, I enjoyed playing in, in the jazz. I enjoyed playing trumpet. I really enjoyed the handbells because it was just a unique instrument that yeah. people think, what, you were in a tower with a string? Nah, if you ever Google like a handbell choir or Google Japanese mm. handbell choir, you hear these cats play and it's like amazing what yeah. they do. And, you know, go home then and I'd be sitting there playing like the Halloween theme on my little synth <laughs> and putting a little drum beat on it and stuff. And that, that was my life, you know. I yeah. had a golden retriever named Blake who was my buddy and I had a few friends, but it was like they wanted to go play football, you mm. know, American football. They wanted to go play soccer, English football. Mm. You know, they wanted to do those things. It was never really, I yeah. wasn't much of a sports guy. Yeah. I'm a, a great um, Frisbee thrower, you know, yeah. ultimate. I love my Frisbee, but that's really because of reggae music and smoking weed. But that, yeah. you know, and that is a sport. Yeah. It's just not really, there's running involved. Yeah. But we don't. We like to stand still yeah. and just make sure who you play with throws it to you. Yeah. With FLC, the Frisbee thing's a big thing. You have to play. You have to know how to toss a disc if you're yeah. going to be on stage. But zero us. running, right? As little as possible. Yeah. And whenever a friend at a festival is like, oh, can I play? It's like, mm. And you yeah. let them play, and they throw it over the fence or something. It's like, there goes that Frisbee. I mean, we have one over the summer. This are, I think is there was, a Frisbee on it, your rider? There's Frisbees all over. We have two or three of us on all, on, at all times on tour. And our, our lovely monitor guy could throw, Dave Hill threw a, could throw a Frisbee. His son came to a gig and gave us a Frisbee. And the merch guy, Nico, who can throw a Frisbee, didn't know. It was one of those Frisbees that's like, got, it's just the round disc with the hole in the middle. Yeah. You put effort in that. It'll go for yeah, a forever. long way. Yeah. So he put as much into it as he, yeah. he over the fence, into like the cow fields, gone. This poor kid's face was like, they've thrown it three times and now it's lost. It happens, you know? There's casualties in the Life's ultimate cruel, Frisbee. man. It is, I mean, coronavirus, forget about that. A kid gives you a gift and you throw it in the river, it's game over. All right, so we've been speaking about, um, you know, playing on your simps and stuff like that yeah, and we mentioned yeah. mute records earlier so for track four fast i want to know the first song that you bought from a record store it, well yeah and i think i put two down but you it did. was just because it was in the same go i uh i had so i had my synthesizer friend got me into all the mute record stuff then i have my like guy who loves simple minds and again yes um and this is before huey this is 84 and uh, he played bass, Rickenbacker bass, and loved the Chili Peppers, mm -hmm. like, but the early Chili Pepper records and stuff. And he took me to some hippie party. You walk in, I was like, what's that smell? You know, and it was, sure enough, it was like deadheads listening to Grateful Dead and yeah. smoking lots of weed, house party. And I was like, okay, this is cool. What's this all about? Then Bob Marley came on, and I'd never heard Bob Marley before. And that was like, whoa. You know, there are keyboards and stuff in there, but it was really the rhythm, the groove of this type of music I hadn't heard. I'm listening to very structured Depeche Mode, dee -doo, dee -doo, this stuff, which I loved. Yeah. But to hear that was like, whoa, this is really free. This is like really mellow, but it's also loose, but also it, it's just, it blew me away. So the next day I went out basically to get a Depeche Mode record. Some Great Reward mm -hmm. was the name of that record. And sure enough, like in the little section, I'm going looking B, C, oh, 
get to uh, Marley, Bob Marley. Oh, look at that. And lucky enough, I got Legend, you yeah. know, and it came out a few months before, and that was kind of a greatest hit. So yeah. I heard that, and it was just, I think I listened to that more than anything else. Like, yeah. it was just a great, sick album. And I mean, then over, you know, cut to now, reggae music's probably my favorite. Mm. If I had to choose a genre, it would yeah. be. You know anything? You know Jamaican music and what Bob did, spreading the word and all that. And there hasn't really been anyone like him. You mm -hmm. know, there's new cats from Jamaica like Vibes Cartel, who's outsold Bob Marley supposedly, which is hard to imagine. Really? But well, then he, the guy puts out three singles a week, though. Right. When he was in jail, he was putting out three singles a week. The guy yeah. is working. Um, and it's cool. A lot of people love that Bashman sound, and I play it at Rum Kitchen. I, I love it as well. But with Bob Marley, it's just like, it's a whole different vibe. And mm. that, that record legend was, was huge. And that was the first time I thought, oh, someone I'll never be able to see in concert. And I've seen yeah. Damien, I've seen Steven, and they're great, but it's not. Yeah. Like seeing Bob would just be yeah. the next level thing, you know? Seeing Pink Floyd on the Animals tour in 76 or 7, whenever that was, that would be a big one for me. Yeah. But seeing Bob, like, and not... 80s Bob probably late seven like the rain, the show we did here yeah, yeah, oh man yeah, yeah. I would I would loved and I've seen loads of reggae shows yeah. and I love reggae music but it's just there was something special about yeah. about Bob and I don't think anyone else has come close yeah I was lucky I had, when Julian was over last I had Julian Marley on and yeah he's cool he's uh, he was a cool guy man he was yeah really cool I guy. mean anyone in that Marley camp I think yeah. they've got a legacy yeah. to live up to and Damien's done a great you know, Amazing. a great job, and I, I really love a lot of his his music and a lot of um, a lot of the newer reggae. You know, mm. Chronics and, and Protege and Kabaka Pyramid. There's all these cats that are I, I really like the tunes they're doing. Um, yeah. So yeah, reggae's just. I mean, I I love buying reggae on seven inch. The records sound horrible. Well, let's take it back to big hair and eyeliner. Um, some great reward. Yeah. That's an album, isn't it? Yeah, I love it. And I love, I mean, with Depeche Mode, I love, I love the progression up through Violator. After that, I lost interest. No way, really? Yeah. So I I'm, I'm, we're Basildon boys, so they're yeah. a hometown band. Okay, and that's, and and that's uh, all good. And I, I, just, <laughs> I love this story. I, and I saw that the concert film, the latest one, was on Sky Arts. The one that's just ago. come out of cinema? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I saw one of them. And it's impressive that they've come this yeah. for doing this but for me personally when alan wilder left it, it changed it for me i agree completely <laughs> but but you're from basildon so you no. have to let no, it's cool because i it's just they slowed everything down they did they did but i songs of faith and devotion okay that's my favorite mode album. okay really like and wilder's okay. on the drums yeah and it's like and the concert i saw that concert and love that he was there he was wearing Fuck. gloves though drummers that wear gloves was a bit and, but i it's understandable if anyone's gonna wear gloves playing drums if you're in depeche mode mm. i guess that makes sense but he's he's a cat alan wilder that just you know what he when he joined the band and was kind of just a keyboard guy who was mm. very musical and then when they sort of let him do his thing, music for the masses, I think he had a very big influence on the production Huge. of that record. It's awesome. And that's what I think is great about Martin Gore is sick songwriter doesn't seem to be so controlling in the, in the studio. Yeah. I could be completely wrong, but when I hear the music, 
it seems like he's open to letting the other performers yeah. and mus- writers, you know, play the music. And I know it has to be with music for the masses that Alan was like getting so into samplers with the emulator sampler, which is a next level mm-hmm. sampler. So they let him go to town. I mean, I remember working in a deli making sandwiches and on the rock station, um, never let me down again. Came oh. on, they're like, here, we have a new one from Depeche Mode. I was like, huh? It's like you were just playing Steve Miller band yeah. and Credence and they played Never Let Me Down Again, which is heavy. Yeah. You know, and it, I mean, the, the snare drum in that song, if I'm not mistaken, I think is When the Levy Breaks, you know? Really? Which, the snare drum. Yeah. Because this whole thing with legality of sampling drums, you know, Tone Loke got sued for sampling the drum fill, which I think was Van Halen for Wild Thing, or it could have been Zeppelin. I'm not sure I get confused with my samples, but... Mm. Um, the window levy break snare has been sampled yeah. a million times, but I don't think you can get sued for sampling a snare sound, mm. even though anyone hears it goes, yeah, well, that's John Bonham who was yeah. busting his ass to get the sound of that snare in this big yeah. supposed silo or wherever yeah. he recorded it. But, yeah, Music for the Masses was massive, and that's the tour I saw at Madison Square Garden. It was supposed to be Nitzareb or Nitzareb, as they call them here, and they canceled, and some other weirdo group from New York played, which wasn't so bad. I got the vinyl and was like, uh. But I went to really, because it was like, this band, Nitzareb, that was a big moment, because that was dance music thing. Why do you like them too? They've been on this podcast. Yeah, and see, right. um, let me tell you, I, <laughs> those dudes, Bon and Doug, when I was in college, I went and interviewed them in Trenton, New Jersey. They must have been on something. Because yeah. afterwards, it was the most intimidating interview, because they didn't want it. It was weird. It was, I'm not saying... I was sexually assaulted by Knights of Rev because no one touched me. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it was awkward. He was violated. And I was, but they were, they were a group that was amazing. I saw them in 87 on They're the Believe Tour. They were six boys as well. And they're just, again, really impressive. And I feel real bad. If, if Douglas McCarthy ever heard this, Doug, I'm so sorry because I was our tour manager. We had, this, got, had a tour manager who was like, we're getting our proper tour manager. I go into the office, meet him, this English dude named uh, Steve Toth. We call him the Bulldog. His road case had all these stickers, every band I liked, Nitzareb, Depeche Mode. And I'm like, how do you know those guys? And he's like, oh, I'll work with them. And this dude is awesome. So after like a year or two of touring with him, we did a show at the Academy. May the Academy rest in peace, like so many other great venues in London. And he's like, Doug's coming down. And I was like, no way. But at the time, this chick I liked, she was coming down. So at the end of the show, I go out to where our friends are, and then it's like, and I remember going to the chick and then going up to Doug and talking for like five seconds and then leaving. And to this day, I, it's not a regret, but yeah. there were so many questions I would, lo- I would look, because I just, I loved Nitzab, Nitzab. Yeah. I mean, I dressed like my, I had yeah. a cover band in high school. We were playing, joining the chant and all nice. these songs. And to get their stuff on 7-inch lately has been some nostalgia as well. So I just loved all that. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since they've got back together, because they're playing again now. Yeah. And uh, it's the four original lineup, the four of them. That's great, right, before Um, even the first, that total age record. Um, Because they used to come and play my club in Essex in the very, very early days. And the guy that sort of moved away from the band that's now back in it, he done all the artwork. He's the artwork. What's this, Stuart? No, someone with an S. I know because oh, I. Oh, uh, What were the first? Because uh, I had all their 12 inches. The artwork's fucking incredible. Amazing. Man. Yeah, and like, the cogs and everything. Yeah. But in my high school, I got some of the other kids that were getting it like Depeche Mode. Mm. I said, you got to check out Nitsareb or Night. Is it Nitsareb here? I've always said Nitsareb. Good some for you, finally. Finally, <laughs> someone. It just sounds better, Nitsareb. Yeah. Yeah. So. I got a bunch of kids into it, and uh, it was a predominantly Jewish school I was at, just the makeup of the town. A lot of parents would call, would call my parents up saying, your son's listening to Nazi music because, about burning books. You know, burn, 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 and all that. And my folks got really worried yeah. and concerned. I didn't really know the meaning of any. To this day, lyrics ain't my thing. It's always beats and music. But I, now I understand, yeah. years later, they're not saying we're Nazis, you know. Mm. They're just, they're telling stories. And, yeah, and, I, it, I, it was, and as you know, at that point as well, as you said, you dress like them, there was lots of people and it was Doc Martens, it was bomber jackets, yeah. you know. and Suspenders, it was, and like, <laughs> military, the military pants, yeah. you know. Like, yeah. It was, it was very... Nazi-esque, a lot, lots of the, you know, the, 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 the industrial scene in general, yeah. and the fact that so much of it is synonymous with Germany as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I think them kind of questions were, were unavoidable a lot of the time. Right. Do you know what I mean, they were always sort of thrown about. I'd love to hear what, I would well, not hear what they'd say now, mm. but I'd love to see interviews of them back in the day. Yeah. They probably laughed it off. I of course. Mean, I think that their what the music they were making was art. Mm. So I think, and you know, in the sense of. I don't know, it was just very unique. And mm. the sounds of them, especially the Belief album, was, I mean, that Total Age is just, it's like yeah. punk rock with synths, you know? Yeah. And I love that record. So angry, man. It's very angry. Yeah. And at that time, it was like that, you know, I was listening to Depeche Mode. Do yeah. Do do do. So my parents are like, oh. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden they're hearing, fire, fire. And they're like, what's going on? It's like, I'm going from. Handbells at church to listen yeah. to Nitsarab. Going <laughs> to burning the, books. <laughs> going to their their concerts too was mosh. I mean yeah. mosh but mosh but mosh. That led me to like ministry. Yeah. But again, mind is a terrible thing to take. Ministry. Al Jurgensen started with synth yeah. stuff. I love that. With yeah. sim- I think with sympathy is his mm. record. It's great. Mm. It's great. Eighties synthy yeah. stuff with him with his fake English. I ain't yeah. got time. And he's like from Chicago with yeah. his English accent. And then all of a sudden, you know, mind is a terrible thing to taste. 
cage at the tour, the show at a cage, and people dive out. There's fire and flames. It's crazy and so loud. Yeah. And it led me to, to liking all this industrial music, which again, when I went to work at the Limelight, and having you know, loving all this electronic stuff, loving all this industrial stuff, and then meeting Huey and yeah. just his comical. He's naturally a funny dude. Yeah. For him to just say, "All right, bro, let's just let's slow it down. Let's just <laughs> mellow it out." Basically, you know, through smoking weed, thanks to my hippie friends and stuff, I was ready, you know, for him because when we were writing songs for FLC, yeah. first before we even wrote anything, we went down to Lower East Side, went to the Cultural Boutique, which was an incense shop that you go in. There's like two CDs, a couple sticks of incense and in the backs of Bob Marley poster you move aside hole in the wall put your money through get your bag of weed I'm like this is New York's the best city in the world yeah go back blaze up don't do anything for like a week we just kept doing that every day and then wrote all these songs and stuff so it all kind of you know has this leading to where I am now which is why this record kind of connects to all this I was trying to figure out how can I connect this so I'm not boring Stu out of his mind no, no, with so, stories man. of Star Wars but you like Star Wars you're from Essex, so that's good. <laughs> so before we get on to clubbing, yeah. um, I want to know, like, why? What, what's your understanding as to why, as Americans, your band blew up here first? You know, we've been wondering that, not overthinking it, because we're just happy it happened, because we'd still yeah. probably be working at these clubs. I think radio had a lot to do with it. Radio One, at least in the 90s, they weren't scared to play like a hip hop song mm -hmm. with a guitar solo or a rock song with rapping in it, mm -hmm. you know? So when I think our label over here put out a song called The Grave and the Constant first, it was a mellow song, um, kind of to test the waters. And I know the drummer in the band, Frank, now that was the first song he really liked of ours. He heard it and was like, wow, this band's cool. Scooby Snacks comes out, and with Tarantino being all popular, Pulp yeah, Fiction was blowing up in the, in the cinemas. It was like an easy, it wasn't like we had to get our foot through the door. The mm -hmm. door was cracked, or we kicked the door open, yeah. thanks, with Tarantino's boot we were wearing. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of just being a bit lucky. Yeah. And our first record had so many dialogue samples from movies in it. We're huge movie fans but we couldn't clear 98% of them. He was the only one who was like, yeah, cool, that's great. You know, and that was awesome because yeah. it led to be the biggest song for us, you know, yeah. we, and we're truly blessed that we play it. I mean, that song to us is like a, it's not, we're not, we don't take anything too seriously, but yeah. we, in our lyrics, you know, there are some stories that are a bit more serious than others. That song is just bizarre about, yeah. you know, robbing banks, which we don't condone. Or, you know, all high on Scooby Snacks, which was Valium from a security guard at the limelight we worked with, Mike Waz, may he rest in peace, um, who said would hand out Valium to all the security guards before the Puff Daddy's hip hop nights because they were all on edge. Yeah. You'd have like a dude coming in with a gun and his girlfriend or girlfriend's friend coming in with the bullets. And it's like they had, there was a lot of scandal going on, but they yeah. were the best hip hop parties ever, the Mecca parties yeah. in New York at the tunnel. But the security guards were freaked out. And these are big men yeah. who were terrified on the inside. They yeah. were terrified. But I guess they figured if they took loads of Valium, they would Fucking mellow out. hell. That's but, crazy, man. But I think, well, yeah, with FLC, it, I mean, I think a lot of it's luck. You know, yeah. it was at the time in the mid-'90s, like Portishead, Tricky, Massive Attack were, were blowing up. And um, 
also the Brit pop scene, which mm-hmm. we were kind of we were different. We were more in the hip hoppy, trip hoppy. It embraced you though. It, it felt for me, as an outsider and as a DJ. You know, in my club in Essex, which is an alternative club, so it's all rock and, you know, and stuff like that. Like, because it, there was so much sort of, of this scene, where if we even look at, like, um, TFR Friday. Yeah. So it would be Sleeper, it would be maybe Tricky, and it would be Fun Loving Criminals. Yeah, and that's so right. it, it, there was just a moment. And Reef. The, and Reef, Reef was the other course. band. And we love those dudes. They are, they're, to this day, we do gigs with them. Yeah. Them, and Sleeper, all those bands. And, for some reason, Chris Evans and Huey had that connection, yeah. that kind of, let's get into trouble together, yeah. courtesy of the Met Bar at the Metropolitan yeah. Hotel, and Ben Pundle, yeah, it's all your fault, Ben, um, that, who, another one, who's a nightlife guy, got in the hotels, and now is like this spiritual person, there's a connection there, but it's a good thing, um, yeah, Chris Evans. I mean, we were on that show so many times, yeah. and it was great, I think Huey even hosted it once when yeah. Kylie Minogue was on it, so it was... Rough, yeah, job, that was rough job that yeah it was, it was tough for him his sleaziness came over but no bless Kylie you know so was, uh, she could on this table she's like the size of your mug there she's wonderful but yeah we, I think yeah we got we got lucky I think there's someone like a Chris Evans or even Rado it's like they love New York yeah and we were kind of like you know you go to New York or in London you got the shops that have yeah. like the little Empire yeah. State Building metal thing yeah they kind of saw us as like a trinket yeah. You know, from New York, and I get you know, that. we never really meant that. Yeah, we just, you know, when Huey write lyrics, he's writing what he sees around him. Yeah. In the '90s, '80s, '90s was a great time in New yeah. York, um, with so many stories there. So, so how did you deal with, uh, you know, I, I guess coming to a, you know, coming to the UK and and being really famous? Like, how how was that? How was fame? I was never famous. When, <laughs> Huey is the one we had a conversation was like how are we going to do this with press stuff and I came right out with it where I said you're the singer which he was reluctant to even be the singer but he had the coolest voice so you're the singer in the band I'll do a bunch of little things and we'll get a drummer you know it was important to have a drummer not just be a hip hop group with beats and a DJ yeah. and us rapping or whatever we wanted to be a band but a band that played all different types of music yeah. so I think um Wait, what was the question? This is uh, what happens. Yeah, I just, um, where was I going with a question? Um, I've lost my way now. I know, it's my fault. Um, it's all Kylie Minogue's fault. How did you deal with fame? Is what okay, I so I said to Huey, I said, listen, best, you're going to do the press. Yeah. They're going to want the singer to do it. You're this young Robert De Niro looking guy. I got these curtains and I want to learn the industry. I want to meet the labels and learn yeah. all that stuff. Boy, what a stupid conversation that was, <laughs> looking back on it now. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's worked good. He talks the talk, and, yeah. he, and he's, he's a good talker. And I'm, you know, can be. I enjoy speaking about nostalgia yeah. and history, especially because of this record, yeah. you know. It makes me want to do it. But I never really was, like, recognized, you know. It's been, I could one hand five six times that people been like, you're the barry white guy you know or track love unlimited or are you in fun love and criminals so it's rare yeah you know for huey i could see it being a real pain yeah sometimes if he's on the train home yeah and is tired or with his family and you got some drunk dudes or girls or whatever it's like last thing i don't want that in my life yeah. you know but um 
we always had New York to go back to yeah. where no one knew who we were and no, no, no one that? cared. It was great. <laughs> yeah. and especially our friends kept us grounded, you can go which home is cool. And like, yeah. Now we all live over here, and I'm sure it's different for Huey. I'm sure he gets record. You yeah. know, he's on the radio and stuff. But um, no, I don't, I don't have that. I can kind of yeah. walk amongst the people. Perfect and I don't way, right? mind it. Yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. So that's never, you know. It's like Huey says, you know, I'd rather have money than fame in yeah. one of our songs, and I kind of that's yeah. worked better. I just wish I had the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we, we we have met before, fast. We met when you yeah, come and DJ yeah, for great. for Pip and I uh, at the book club. So for track five, um, can you tell me the song that soundtrack your years in Clubland? Working in the limelight, we heard so much music and. It had, you know, it was a church converted into a nightclub. So they had a main, the big main sanctuary for the church was like usually house music, techno music in the 90s because all the DJs there were being sent by the promoters, these Brooklyn cats, to go to England and buy up every record you can get. So they'd go and buy up every record. It got a bit crazy where they started coming back with all these records. We'd hear these tunes. It was like next level stuff. But then they'd also come back with like a thousand hits of ecstasy to start selling in the club so we took the whole culture yeah. from from england the rave culture and brought it to new york which is great the djs in new york would play different mixes that were on these 12 inches from a lot of the other ones so that express two track london express i mean there were so many to talk about in the techno years but that one was one that you'd hear on every night even on the industrial nights they play that track you know you hear it on the hardcore techno nights on the classic house nights that was a song that kind of broke all the yeah. genres and i learned years later ashley beetle was in express too he was one of the writers in that which blew me away because it's just again very kind of disco-y house track with a rolling stone sample which yeah. i hope i'm not busting them with that because <laughs> um, I, I would, I'd be a great sample police officer yeah. if I could be the guy to bust people, but I don't want to do that. That's you know, so. But that track I remember it was like two, three times, and it was the first yeah. time I heard DJs playing song multiple times in a night. Now DJs do their whole sets twice. Yeah. You know, a lot of times in clubs is a shame, but because there's a lot of music out there, that one was a big one. JD Plastic Dreams was another one, just because talking about intros, it had such a big intro with no beat in it, and all the DJs would like cut the music, yeah. lights go off. So yeah. obviously the lighting guy is a very important part of like yeah. the vibe here, and that song would start doom, 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 and it'd be forever. But when that beat came in, I mean, you never see, there's 3,000 people yeah. in this place. And then it, you'd walk off the main huge floor into a smaller room, yeah. And hear that song again, like an hour later. So yeah. it's like, and there's so many others, aren't there? Especially in the nine, there's so many late '93 to, I mean, even today, there's great house music stuff totally. that comes out. But there was something about working in this club, yeah. and just hearing those songs that was, and you know, no Shazam. Yeah. So it's like, I luckily over the years we knew the DJs. So I wouldn't go up to him when he's playing the song. Yeah. People, don't go up to DJs and ask them what they're playing. Don't yeah. make requests ever. It's our job to play the music, yeah. your job to listen to it. But I'd wait till at the end of the night, he'd come back, the DJ, he or she, want me to order him a hamburger because I was answering phones. I'd be like, yo, what was that song, dude? Dude, and oh, it's JD. So all I knew was JD. Two weeks later, I'd be like, what's the name of that JD song, Plastic Dreams? Okay. And then I'd go to the record store and get it. I mean, Chubby Chunks was, I could go on for all these great records, all, all the Todd Terry stuff, the CLS, Can You Feel It? 
those oh, songs. Oh, And it was like the in-house dub. Yeah. That was just, it's just awesome music. So when Ecstasy got there. Yeah. And there's a the thousand. The first two years was great. So I'll take it at that point, the dormant could come off the Valium. <laughs> it got it, it got a bit. It, that's when police started getting involved. That's yeah. when Rudolph Giuliani, I mean mm. Rudolph, was getting involved, trying to clean up New York. And I mean, for the life of me, I don't remember there ever being any fights in these clubs. And there's three thousand people yeah. spread out through this place, but there's never fights. There's people wanting to listen to music. Now on the rock and roll nights on Sundays when the Hells Angels, the Big Red Machine would come in there and the New York Big Red are tough dudes. You know, one dude would come in with a hammer in like a holster and they just let him in. Otherwise the hammer would come out of the holster. Yeah. There could be issues, you know. You had in one room rock music. Rock. Yeah. You know? And then in the other room you had reggae and hip hop. You mix those two groups up in the 90s in New York, you could have recipe for disaster yeah but most of the time it was people just wanting to get down and enjoy yeah. music and you know I, well, we're just really lucky to work there because those clubs are over Ru rudolph giuliani once the drugs started getting peddled in by the club kids and not just the club kids you know you had these long island cats these i guess they call them guidos mm -hmm. you know who come in which i guess is kind of a it's um, a version of Chavs in a sense, yeah. but without being prejudiced. They were proud to be Guidos. I assume Chavs are probably proud to be Chavs wearing their, no? I don't know. Well, I'm sure there's got to be Chavs who are They're wearing made their a colors lot of money. The same as, yeah, I guess so, man. I don't know. I'm not trying to be, if I'm being disrespectful to anyone, I'm, I'm just trying to get a connection. No, no, I'm yeah. sure. But I, I, yeah. So the Guidos were the ones making the money, driving the nice cars, wearing the gold. So it was obvious the club kids were just stupid kids dressing up. And so did you did you witness any of that, like the Michael Alley stuff, like the club kids culture? I, luckily, we got our record deal. The moment we got a record deal, Huey quit. Yeah. I worked another six months there, and this was when um, Special K mm -hmm. started making the scene dark, mm -hmm. you know, because you just see zombies walking around yeah. and stuff, and... I said, yeah, this is, it's probably my time to go to. But I love being in touch and working at the club. I mean, I grew really close with a bunch of the people that worked there, managers and other people that to this day I'm still friends with. So it, it just, yeah, it kind of made it nasty, made it mm. too dirty. There was a roughness of it. And once Rudy, you know, started sending in cops and un undercovers, they busted people. Then, unfortunately, the owner, Peter Gation, he went down and they deported him, you know? And it was like, I guess you gotta, there's gotta be the head of the snake. Yeah. And I guess they saw him as the head of the snake. Yeah. But this guy changed, this guy was, he said it, set the bar for New York clubs. I mean, he owned the Palladium, the Tunnel, Limelight Club USA. Each of these clubs were amazing. I mean, places for the short periods they were open, but like, you know, Prince would play at Club USA. You know, you'd have just every band you could think of playing this. I mean, this guy ran big clubs and these aren't small places with two, 300 people, yeah. thousands of people yeah. in basically what now would be such fire hazards with yeah. like one exit a hundred meters away. And it's like, yeah. but it was just amazing time. We were in our twenties and it was venues. So we could like for fun, Lemon criminals doing like a, try to get labels to come to our gigs yeah. we could get every friday night in the downstairs of the tunnel that was just kind of a mellow thing and no one ever came to those shows and yeah. we did like nine or ten over two years and then thought yeah this is cool but you know we're not taking it seriously yeah. and then the one night we 
did a show and put suits on as a joke, we get a record deal. So it's like someone was helping us. Yeah. You know, so we, we, we got really luck is a big part of it. Yeah. Harrison Ford will tell you that as well. Because, yeah. I mean, he was a carpenter who carpenter, now is yeah. like, he's just one of the greatest actors. So, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, those, those, I mean, you and I could talk 90s stuff forever. Forever and a day, mate. I love it. <laughs> I do too. Track six, fast. Yeah. Favorite song from an artist from your home county? I guess it would be the, the Doors is what I put Riders on the Storm just because I, I just love the song. I yeah. love Ray Manzarek, sick keyboardist. Obviously, Jim Morrison is just out of his mind. But, um, and it, I, you know, some people always say the Doors are like the best bar band, I think some people have said that. And it cuts them short. They've, they've experimented with a bunch of different sounds and we're only around for a short period of time. Yeah. But there's something about Riders on the Storm, right. sound, starting with the rain and then playing, you know, the keyboard stuff. And what I loved about Ray Manzarek was they didn't have a bass player live. Yeah. So he was there with his little bass Rhodes electric piano playing the bass sounds, which is what one of the things I modeled to try and do with Fun Loving Criminals, because it's just, it just was really impressive. Mm. I mean, I think that's the one question with no disrespect that I put the least effort into. Yeah. But I just love that song. It's, it's, it's my favorite though song. And it's a very uh, American yeah. song. But you know, it's, what's funny about that is there's a tribute band called The Doors Alive. Right. We did a festival with them last summer, I think two summers ago. And I watched the whole show and was like blown away. I was like, yeah. it's just amazing how great they sound like the doors yeah. on record. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because goes, I'm yeah. sitting there going, this sounds just like the other. This is so tight. Riders on the Storm was perfect. Yeah. And then I thought, that ain't what the doors probably sounded like yeah. live. If they're off the heads, it's like probably a different thing. But it was a fine line between yeah. what they're trying to do. But I love the doors. I mean, yeah. Huey had. Uh, Morrison Hotel, is that the album? Yeah. Yeah, so he had that CD in that initial stack. And um, it was just, I just listened to it. Obviously, listening to it, wanting samples, but then you grow. It's like anything. You hear a song over and over again, and we're all going to sit here love, loving mm. Katy Perry because it's like all we're hearing or something like that. So listening to The Doors, that album, yeah, it really got me into, that kind of was my segue to classic rock, yeah. which led to Pink Floyd and all that. Did you get to see them when they, um, the original members? I'm sure they toured with Ian Astbury from the yeah, cult I fronting them. No, I heard good things about that. I'm sure it would have been good. Yeah. I mean, I don't, that doesn't bother me. It's like, yeah. it, I, if I can see a band, even if it's not the singer, I know I'm not seeing the yeah. original Doors, you know, or, you know, bands like that, or Queen, you know. Yeah. But it's still cool yeah. to go to a show like that. I mean, now that I'm older and, don't really like being in crowds yeah so much but i still like going to shows but i mean that's why bob marley's the one yeah that i just and the whalers i know play but yeah. that's the one band that's like if it ain't bob I'd, yeah i'll still like it yeah but it's not seeing bob marley yeah but i mean the doors were it, i just i wish i could have seen them yeah to just i would have been the guy in the front row right in front of ray man's yeah. annoying him because he's looking down going why the dudes? It's like no one really joins a band hoping. This is no disrespect to certain people, but no. You, when you join a band, when you're a heterosexual male and you join a band, you kind of hope your show isn't all dudes. Yeah. You know. And with Fun Loving Criminals, as we're getting older, we're realizing 
it's all dudes, which it don't matter. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. But as a kid, I'm just saying, if I was in the front there and I was Ray Manzarek at that time, you know, they're blazing in the 60s yeah. and stuff. And I looked down and saw this guy just staring at me. But I'd just be so interested in, yeah. like, the sound, you know, of what he was doing. That's what I was really into yeah. with Rising Storm. And it's just a long song. I like yeah. long songs. He was a dude. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> last track. The song that many may not know. That you would like them to hear okay this is one i don't even know how you would hear it but um and this is just because i've been obsessed with it for a while and now i've found well, a solution on Spotify, I no. put a play- it's not no i put a playlist of all these so people can go and listen to all your tracks but i'm trying to think of how it could now okay and this kind of sums up everything we've been talking about when it comes to my bizarreness in the world but okay in blade runner there's a scene when harrison ford goes looking for the girl in the nightclub yeah and there's kind of like this disco song playing. It's going boo, 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 boo. Killed me when I watched the movie. I was like, what is this? What is the sound making this like boo, boo, which I learned was, was a sinair, which is a, a sound used in disco and reggae. The boo, that thing, this yeah. little sinair drum. It's an electric drum, and Simmons, all these bands put it out. But in Blade Runner, in the, in the, in the club, there's this scene with that and then this weird Arabic melody on top of it and it was like this is great so the soundtrack to Blade Runner never really came out it was done by an orchestra in the 80s on vinyl it's terrible no disrespect to them in the 90s they finally released Van Gelis's soundtrack I was like one of the first to get it on CD I listened to it's great they put the dialogue in which is the only time I was like wish they didn't put the dialogue in I know the dialogue to the movie I want to hear his music finally in CD quality. That song ain't on it. So I got upset. Now, if you go online, there is a community of people around the world. I would like to say there's a few hundred. There's probably 12 of us who (laughs) are obsessed with all the music in the movie that isn't on the soundtrack. There's multiple versions of the Blade Runner soundtrack. In Romania, there's there's a different version that has basically people just recorded the movie and put it out as a soundtrack in Romania where the copyright laws are different, bizarre stuff like that. So I um, got all those different versions. It ain't on there, right? Thanks to YouTube, someone took that bit and put it on there. They took the video off so YouTube wouldn't cut it off and just put a Tyrell Corporation sticker or something on it. But it's the song. So I thought, okay, great. Make a long story short, it took me years to figure out how, what is this song? And what it is, is Van Gelis, when he was working in London at Marble Arch at his Nemo Studios with all these great synths, he um, had an emulator synth, not the emulator 2 that Alan Wilder went to town with, mm-hmm. but the original emulator. On there, these little discs, these floppy discs you put in, one of them had a patch called Reggae, Reggae Man or something. And what it is, is it's this little bit that's, from a dub version of a track by Lion, Lion Youth. Oh, I should have had this info ready for me. But it's it's basically a sample that was on this sampler. Vangelis used it, and then another sample, which is a Miles Davis sample that was released on the emulator sampler. No clearance samples here. This is 1982 or three yeah. or one or something like that. It came out. That's a Miles Davis sample. Is this Arabic horn thing? And Vangelis wrote this little piece of music. So I basically took upon myself when this company, UVI, who do virtual synths, they put out the emulator. I bought that and searched the hundreds of sounds. I was like, it's got to be on there. But they, because they weren't doing an official clone, 
they couldn't name it reggae man or something yeah. so the names changed so i had to listen to every sound and eventually <laughs> of course right at the end there it is and you hold it down and there's that sample and then later in the one of the discs you know this is on laptops so there's no disc is that so i was able to remake the song yeah and put it on youtube and there's been one of the 12 people i'd like to think there's a few hundred but one of the 12 has actually come on going finally someone's put a halfway decent version what none of us realized me too is i did it wrong so i'm not happy about that but it's it's on there but it's not going to be able to be on your that's a thing, journey man. On, that's a journey <laughs> but the thing is it took me years this is from when i was maybe this is probably 1990 to, yeah. to about a year ago i was it was annoying me and luckily i was emailing everybody i could find and to find the sample, because now I got the reggae song, the Lion You sound, Radicut, Radicut Dub is the name of the track. And it's a really popular, you know, British reggae song when it came out. Um, and Juno Records had it, mm. sold out of it. <clears throat> I'm this close. And then they reissued it like four months ago. Yeah. I bought two copies of it and sure enough just got to that bit, put, put my post on Instagram so I could be cool. And no one cares. And... To me, it doesn't matter because yeah. it's like, fuck, I can close that book yeah. because it was a big thing. My boy Arlen Figgis, I think he appreciated it. He's a, yeah. he's a music dude, so, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the best answer I've ever had for a track seven on this podcast. And you can't even, no one can hear it. <laughs> They'd have to go to YouTube. No, but see, because you're saying this, Stu, it's like, I'm, and I could probably do it, is I could go release a single on TuneCore yeah. I think it's like fifteen, twenty dollars or something. I could put it on a tune core and it'll be on Spotify. Yeah. But I don't know how long it would be on there. Yeah. So unless you're putting this podcast out in the next week or two, then I could put the YouTube link up. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. Well I'm gonna have to put the it's on my I've got it on there. It's called Salome's Dance, but that's not the name of the girl. So I don't know who originally named it that. Yeah. But yeah, it's um it's just an instrumental piece. But in a club, sounds great. I play it in a club sometimes because it's a reggae yeah. foundation of the song, but it's in a weird time signature. Yeah. So it's an end of the night jam. Nice. <laughs> What's happening then, Fast? What's happening with this record? Oh, it's a slow thing. It came out in November. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it was, it was Sadaji was just, a, I needed to get this record out. It was my way of kind of closing that book, you know, as you're getting older and mm -hmm. you've you got kids and they're growing up and you want to. I just, I needed to close that book. So I'm trying to get my synths together to do some shows with this. I'll do some sessions. Um, so live, would that be just you and Sims? There's two different things I can do. There's The easy thing is that. Yeah. I have a, a great, there's a great friend, this guy D, who works worked at the Rum Kitchen, who play, is, was a bartender there, but plays cello. Never knew that when I discovered that. That's awesome. My friend Naeem plays guitar, classical guitar. I'd like to get them involved to do some stuff. Um, it's just finding the time to do yeah. it and not being lazy because I could get three, four different keyboard players and, you know, not afford to pay them and feel bad about that. Yeah. So I got a loop station, so I'm trying to mess with that, which isn't yeah. easy. And I'm someone who likes using my feet in both hands and everything yeah. when I play music, but that's a, a new ground for me. So you can go all the way back now, and you can be Rick Wakeman from Yes. I know I'm gonna be. You can get yourself just, a cape just like. without, without any <laughs> solos, as long as there's no solos. But yeah, so and with these Behringer synths, it's great just to have these sounds because I don't like laptops with yeah. FLC. I don't like 
we used to have a laptop playing back and tracks and stuff before that MPCs, which is great. And now we just use a CDJ, which is easy. But I just don't like when I see bands that they all have their little Apple, yeah. their MacBooks and stuff. So with this, if I'm gonna do it, I want to do it with the actual synths, but not yeah. the originals because it, it's too expensive to carry those around. So Barringer, props to you for putting that out. And yeah. that's that's where we're at with this. But we'll see. I mean, I because it's not like a show. Stu, come down to the show, yo. It's gonna be yeah. great because then you're gonna get the. It's like. This is the mellow, everyone's asleep. Yeah. But there's got to be a for a place to play this that yeah. I think would be cool. And where can people find out about it first? Uh, it's, I'm on all the social medias, Brian Fastlizer. Yeah. And uh, it's on Spotify and um, You're cool with me to iTunes. tag you in this when I put this out so people all can good. find yeah, you. I yeah, think, I think it's it's different from what people, yeah. if people like Fun Loving Criminals. I mean, I think people, I've had people that like this record that are like big Aphex Twin fans and nice. Boards of Canada and, and groups like that. So it's, it's, there's no vocals on it, you know, and there's not really much in the work of drums and rhythms, but it's, it's cool. I like it. I'm happy I put it out. Well, I have a copy of it. There on you go. CD. On CD. On right? CD. No. I was going to bring you the 8-track. <laughs> I want it on Laserdisc, mate. <laughs> that, would, that would be great. It's got a cheap <laughs> Fast, thanks so much for doing this, mate. Thank you, Stu. I appreciate it. Big Cheers, time. man. There you go. Told you that was a cool chat. Um, what a dude. Just an absolute, absolute gem. And, and we had a right laugh. We had a good chat afterwards and, you know, kind of said, let's, let's make sure we, we, we hang out more. We, you know, it was, it was really nice. We got on really well. And Fast doesn't live too far from, from where I work. So hopefully we'll catch up and, um, and have a bit more of a natter about Late 80s industrial music. Um, yeah, okay, well, that's me done. Like I said at the beginning, please um, go and uh, explore the back catalogue if this is your first episode. Um, <clears throat> other than that, um, please give us a, a like, love, share, retweet if you see us on the socials because we're on all the, all the social media platforms. Um, and, yeah, please explore uh, Patreon if you want to support this podcast. Um, that's much appreciated. Other than that, just subscribe and tell your mates. Right, I'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month, there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network.
He'd make stew with him. Eat him. <laughs>